Breaking news. Peyton, bring us in. Oh, Kat, bring us in. Wow, I thought you were going to cover this, but a good <laughs> shout out to All our- right, we're starting over. <laughs> Peyton, bring us in. Got some breaking news um, via Kent's friend. Peyton, you got to talk into the mic. Luke Fritch. Yeah, you say I'm too. Uh, by Fritch Fritchinson. Um, some dust storms are shutting down, like a big, real big stretch of uh, I 55. Yep, Southern and, Illinois, South Central Illinois. Illinois. The old Illinois Dust Bowl. Classic. What, what's the dust coming from? Uh, the reports would tell you some unplowed fields. No, plowed fields. So so uh, spring tilling. <laughs> so Peyton tried to spring take tillage. Kent's thing just on a whim. <laughs> All right, Kent, fill us in. Yeah, hit us with it. So... Uh, this wasn't going to be my main topic. And then right before we started recording, I looked at a text I got from uh, Luke Fritch. And uh, we figured we should cover it because it's happening right now in Illinois. Um, I-55 basically stretches from, I think, all the way down to the tip of Illinois and maybe even into Kentucky and further south uh, up to, I think it goes to Chicago. Um, but down south of Springfield... Uh, today is just ridiculous winds sweeping across the Midwest right now. I, uh, I started out working outside this morning, and it was probably, I don't know, maybe 15-mile-an-hour winds, not anything too crazy. But then now it's probably, last I checked at lunch, it's 24-mile-an-hour winds. Uh, I'd say it's gusting up to probably 30s, 40s uh, mile an hour. So super windy. And that part of Illinois is incredibly flat. Uh my cousin once joked that when he drives on I-55, he feels the winds of Europe <laughs> shaking his vehicle. <laughs> and, that sounds like a song. Instead of the rains of Africa, it's the winds of Europe. <laughs> well, and he's no meteorologist, so he probably doesn't know that our here in the Northern Hemisphere, most of our, our air is going to come from the West. So that would mean that circled the globe and was on its way back to, oh to Europe. But... Uh, because of this, all this dust from all the spring tillage going on right now has created such a dust cloud blanketing I-55 that people Whoa. couldn't see where they're going. And so Peyton's looking at some of the footage right now. And it's and literally like dozens of semi-trucks piled on each other. If anyone's right. ever seen the first it, there's, episode. There's burned up vehicles. There's there's accidents on both sides of the interstate. Oh, my god! And, uh, you know, it's it's a sunny day. It's a clear, blue, sunny day. The only problem is because of this wind and all this loose topsoil, you have a dust, you know, a duster like happened during the the dust bowl that is uh, clearing out visibility. And uh, there's, I mean, there's so many lessons to to be learned here on everything that we talk about time and time again. But uh, it's it's a reality, and kind of the crazy thing is this. Really, I've never even heard of such a thing happening here in the Midwest, and I've lived here for 33 years now. Uh, and I was getting ready. This cut me off from my other article, which was going to be about the historic flooding going on with the Mississippi River right now after a uh, unprecedented amount of snowfall and then a ridiculously um, fast melt-off from our unseasonably high temperatures we had a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we can't convince anybody that uh, we have a changing climate. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to 
make an argument uh, with you right now and read all sorts of facts, but I would ask you this question. If climate change did exist, what would it look like? What would be the symptoms of that? Would we see unprecedented flooding? Would we see unseasonably high uh, temperatures, precipitation rates that are out of whack, dust bowls in uh, uh, part of our most fertile part of our country um, that you've never seen before? Would we see droughts that go on for years, forest fires that seem to never end? Would we see all that if climate change did exist? So ask yourself those questions, and then when you look at the circumstances that we see today, um, I know what my answer would be to those questions. Yeah, that is wild. Man. It's, uh, also, thoughts and prayers, like honest thoughts and prayers to uh, uh, lives that have been cut short or yeah. uh, significantly altered and the loved ones thereof on, on the interstate. Mm-hmm. There's 30 miles of interstate that's being shut down right now, a monstrous pileup. Um, and, and it, it's weird. Cause it's like a, it's a quote unquote natural disaster, but it was like a natural disaster. Wouldn't be if there was prairie there. The what? It wouldn't be if there was prairie there. Yeah. It, it does make me wonder like 14,000 years ago or like right after the last ice age before prairie was just absolute right, right between the ice age and the prairie. And I know there was like a receding where mm. prairie slowly filled in like, were there dust bowls then? Yeah, Were, yeah. In fact, yeah, I'm, I'm glad shut down regularly. <laughs> back, back well, I'm glad. BC. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up, Nick, because I was watching a documentary on the dust bowl uh, over the weekend, and a uh, great one by Ken Burns, by the way, if you're looking for a good documentary to watch. And I had that exact thought, you know, before the prairie grasses established themselves here. Uh, that's partly how we get our <clears throat> formations here in the Midwest was by wind. When all that silt and glacial till uh, was drying out, winds sweeping across the area were, you know, pushing that soil around into mounds and hills all over the place. We even have a place here in western Iowa known as the Luss Hills. Luss is a German word, I believe, for windblown. And uh, uh, so Luss is, the Luss Hills is just where we have a great giant deposit of it, but really, all of our soils here in in Illinois, Iowa, all of it's been affected by wind uh, during that time. So you're right. This would be kind of like what it would look like all Man, the time during that, crazy. that point in history. So was there, you had anything else you wanted to add on that? Uh, no, it's just kind of my, uh, you know, like Nick said, it's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing and, you know, thoughts and, and uh, definitely prayers for those uh, affected and uh, hopefully we see this and we don't just go, Oh, wow. What do you know? That's weird. Yeah. Uh, there's a cause to everything. Yeah. There's, it's not just chance. And to be really clear, Kent and Peyton and I are not blaming anyone for this. We're just saying that no, it's not we, one person's we, fault. It's, we would see this event and, and think, Hmm, maybe we, we should, maybe something should change. Right. Maybe something should change. It's a, if, if anything, go back to the bell bowl prairie episode from Nick, if you want to figure out, whose fault any of this is it's all of ours right the way that we the way that we have decided to use and abuse what's around us leads to these outcomes okay well moving on this one was uh, suggested to me by one of our uh, greatest interviews and uh most common listeners paul adama i was awesome. at a pizza ranch with that man dude 
<laughs> what? How many times do you go to Pizza Ranch without dude, me? I, I, not enough, dude. <laughs> My wife hates Pizza Ranch, and I love that Bring place. Bring me. Dude, go on a little double date. I don't fade. think I've been to Pizza Ranch since pre-2020. This episode was brought to you by Pizza Ranch. We are cutting <laughs> short to go to Pizza Ranch. <laughs> Uh, we are not actually sponsored by Pizza Ranch, but we're not opposed. Pizza Ranch, uh, <laughs> shoot us a call. Um, okay, so a lot of times we are calling our agricultural, um, what would you call that, uh, culture to change. And it sounds like we're ragging on farmers. We are not. We love farmers. We are farmers uh, here. No, no, no. I know what's going through everyone's head. Don't do it. Uh, we would get copyright striked. So, but... Something here that I think the farmers have a really good point on, and I want to vouch for them, is what's happening in the Netherlands. And I'm sure you guys have heard it. And something I find kind of bum, like kind of a bum thing, is that a lot of the media is labeling labeling it a far-right movement. I think that's kind of silly because we're talking about people's livelihoods. Um, why, you know, label them. So what's going on is that the United States exports... $118 billion, according to investopedia.com, $118 billion in agriculture every year. You know who's number two? Uh, the Netherlands, I guess. Brazil or Argentina, something like that. Kent's really close. It's the Netherlands. So <laughs> <laughs> the Netherlands uh, exports almost $80 billion in agriculture. Now, think about this. Really? The Netherlands can fit three of themselves in Iowa. Almost three and a half Netherlands fit in just Iowa. So the crazy thing. They are growing some premium grade crops. There. Well, that's tulips. <laughs> just, it's just tulips. <laughs> well, what, what's crazy is they're obviously doing something very efficiently. Yeah. They've got to be. If they're able to, I mean, they're second only in the United States. Who, there's like 70 Netherlands in the United States. But to be fair. A lot of the United States is un not unfarmable, but it's much more. That's des- fair, but desolate. just take just take Iowa, yes. Illinois, Minnesota, yep. South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, Indiana, Ohio. Just yeah. those, let alone like what California can grow, what Florida can grow. So the Netherlands are being very efficient. Well, this this uh, the Netherlands, their lawmakers. Um, have decided they're going to kind of lead the charge help with uh with different um practices and they want to, by 2030 it said they wanted to cut their carbon emissions in half um which is like a really cool goal well what they're doing is they're like shutting down farms they're like handing them hey you need to cease and desist uh to these farms and i don't know how monetarily that's working i think they are paying the farmers to quit farming well there's a giant uh protest obviously and within a few years one of the largest political parties in the netherlands i forget what it's called but it's basically like uh farmers still being allowed to farm that's like the one thing it's like the green party their one thing is is uh conservation and and a healthy earth well this this party's one thing is allowing farmers to still farm and it is a huge party overnight um and i find that is it they're there have been protests where they take tractors. A bunch of farmers will take tractors and just shut down interstates. They'll just go and park them on the interstate. Um, but uh, I really feel for the farmers. That's like a bummer. It, it for, and I get it's for a greater good, but it's kind of something I've been learning in life the past couple of years is you can't control someone else, 
for their better. It's it's a it's a really big deal because that never 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 turns out better. If you're a parent and you're like totally controlling your I mean like a 1-year-old that's different, but like an 18-year-old you're like totally controlling them but it's for their own good. Like that 18-year-old when they're 21, they're not going to talk to you anymore. You know, it it never turns out well to control someone for their uh, for their better. So what do we need to do? We need to we need to have a dialogue. We need to connect with each other, see where we're coming from. Uh, but it was just crazy that uh, I couldn't believe that the Netherlands is exporting so much. So that brings another question. If they're so efficient, why would we take out their acres? Shouldn't we take out acres somewhere else where their efficiency is like not near as good? Which yeah. I don't know where that would be. Maybe Russia. I don't know. Maybe the United States. So we've got some pretty inefficient areas. Although... There's a lot you can do with corn. We kind of rag on corn, but corn's pretty useful for a lot of things. We we might have a little too much of it, but it is very useful. So that's what I got. Any questions from oh. our, from our listeners or from, no, I'm just yeah, yeah yeah listeners <laughs> come on live questions you've got. Well, I'm also thinking about doing a a large like a research thing on this one. It, I just found yeah, it I think interesting. It'd be, I think it'd be worthwhile. I, that number is insane 80 billion dollars yeah. which is be only by the u.s to it, me that was crazy is it exports and imports combined or is it just exports no it's just exports i believe okay because that that would be a big thing exports too. in billions yep okay yeah which i get the united states has to feed a lot more people yeah, which is why i was going yeah. there to ask but you're but, still talking about like percentage wise right okay. yeah and the netherlands is going to be more dense than a lot of areas than like iowa it's going to be more dense than iowa so I found that fascinating. Peyton? Well, just like a lot of the Illinois agriculture. I'm you got to hold that thing to your mouth, brother. Consequences of my own actions right now and trying to read a <laughs> very large article that I found a very short time ago. Um, yeah. You guys want to talk about seaweed for five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. I'm just going to keep reading. Oh, okay. All right. All right. We'll just pause here. All right, guys. I have a exciting article to talk about. Um, basically, uh, it's by the PBS NewsHour, which I didn't know was a thing until just now, and I'm also stalling for time to find where it said it. But it talks about the importance of making very large, um, large, uh, not purchases, but sections of land that's set aside for preservation, and how a lot of the labor in the United States and even other places is. Um, being not forced onto, but it's being done by indigenous communities mm. who have been um, not given ground is not the right word, but have you know received this land through from, the through the old treaties. Yes, through established a, reservations. They, they they are the ones that have this protected ground and have done the best job of um, allowing different endangered species to survive and thrive. Like if you look at the um, Great American West, um, the buffalo. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a certain species of ferret that uh, has gone back up from near extinction because of a lot of indigenous tribes. Well, that is interesting. And this article goes on to talk about how important it is to actually get big migratory protected lands set aside for um, a lot of antelope and mm-hmm. whatnot and what have you. Oh, yeah. So. I always wondered about that, like species that need to travel around yeah. and they're like, yeah, we've got this 60 acres for them. Like, I feel like yeah. that's not enough. Yeah. That's actually becoming a, well, for the past five years, it's been a hot 
button issue in uh, con- in the conservation news world. Um, there's relatively recent research into antelope and uh, mule deer uh, having these historic migration routes that are cut. Man, our keyword today, interstate, that have been uh, cut in half by our interstate systems of the West. You know, uh, if you go out west, you'll see that the speed limits are. 80 miles an hour. I think there, I think I may have even seen 85. 85 is the fastest. There's one in Texas. That's 85 miles. Yeah. Hour. So there's, you know, vehicles moving very fast and, uh, these animals, you know, throughout the seasons will migrate to different parts of the country and breed there. So it's good for the gene pools because you have all these different groups of animals coming in from around the West and, uh, they, they go through their breeding season and then they return to their, you know, summer range. And, uh, it's, it's good for, for those herds. And so actually one of the solutions they've come up with for that are, uh, animal overpasses and underpasses. So if you're listening in from a state that sees that on a, uh, you know, a voting issue at some point or something, I would encourage you to vote in favor of them. Um, there, I think there's, but I, but also do your research because I think um, some uh, have been uh, more effective than others, and uh, I think the overpasses have been a little bit more effective, but I think they're also more expensive. So um, it's definitely worthwhile looking into though, and and hmm. I think putting some tax money behind uh, to help those species. But that's really cool though that on the the reservation ground they're they're doing okay. And they, they did shout out American Prairie, who is working to, I don't know if you guys have heard of them, Yeah, yep. um, conserve a big chunk of Montana and the very huge and, I don't want to say unreachable, but very distant and seemingly almost impossible goal they have. And they've acquired um, land basically the size of Connecticut in Montana yeah, to help with these yeah, migratory patterns of, of uh, yeah, I think it was... Not mule deer, deer, but um, antelope. Antelope. There we go. Yeah, yeah. The American Prairie Reserve is a really interesting project, and uh, we definitely need to get somebody on the podcast. Isn't that point. the one that's a little controversial? Yeah, there's some controversy behind it, and um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not um, entirely sure why all that controversy exists. I know there's some in the hunting community because. Uh, they've said all along that this is going to be treated like public land, even though it's owned by a private outfit, which is American Prairie Reserve. And so you can go in there and you can hunt during hunting seasons and, and so forth. And you can camp, you can mountain bike, you can do all the stuff that you do on like BLM or something. Uh, but um, there's people that think they're going to like pull the rug on the hunting side of it eventually. Hmm. But that's that's the only controversy I'm aware of. I know I think there's others that people are concerned about, but from what I can tell, um, and the interview that I've listened to, uh, done other research on it, it, seems like a great thing. This this is really cool. So they purchased a 68 acre, I think the Matador Ranch is what it's called, and they allow um, ranchers to feed their okay graze it graze graze it. Thank you. Um, that would be similar you, to BLM as well. Yes. They allow them to graze it, and then in return, for like a low cost, in return, those ranchers agree to do a lot of practices that allow um, fencing awesome. to be um, 
I don't know how exactly low, low but, enough for these animals to or get. high enough for them to get under. I okay, think yeah, what they for said. antelope, antelope don't jump for the antelope to get under, yeah. so they could actually follow these migratory patterns across a lot of the west, which mm-hmm. is really yeah, cool. that is fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, and then they've got some production, quote unquote, on those on those acres. Yeah, That's allegedly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, allegedly. Well, we had a good time talking about antelope dust and uh, the Netherlands, and anything else we got. No, this is a good. This is a good episode, and and uh, we thank you guys for tuning in and giving us the feedback on it. Please keep doing so. That's literally the best part of doing the podcast is hearing from those of you listening in. So, you got a topic you want us to cover? You got a gripe with something that we said? You want to give us a pat on the back? Those are great. You can give those to us in the form of a five star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps other people see that our show is legit. And then they want to listen to it. As an added bonus, Nicholas Lirio will be taking questions at Tulip Time on Saturday. <laughs> from the that's, hours of 8 that, to 8. No, that's not going to happen. Dressed up I like, might go to Tulip Time, and that would be about the Dressed list. up like a Dutch boy, full, full Dude, Dutch I did costume. That. I did that every year. You would be the least authentic-looking Dutch boy. I was. Believe me. They were like, my goodness, that man doesn't look Dutch. That boy. That boy doesn't look Dutch. All right. I guess it's my turn to take us out. Yep. Ooh, ooh, ah, <laughs> ooh, ah, ah, ooh. Hawks native seeds.